0: Too many reporters are terrified to be exposed as a conservative or a centrist or even just unliberal, I guess. It's a creative industry, so of course it tends to lean left politically. But I can tell you that underneath all of the division in the media, there lies a pile of industry gamesmanship. And in this media hell pit, the true hero is the person willing to expose all of it, no matter what the cost is. The Wall Street Journal uh, described today's podcast guest as Middle America's defiant defender, probably because of his work to examine the real America, a country that seems to have forgotten itself. He recently launched America This Week, a podcast with Matt Taibbi, where they perform an autopsy on the news of the day. His latest major project is as a founder and editor of large of County Highway, A newspaper, a newspaper without any digital footprint at all. It is storytelling for the real America. Uh, Like, you know, if the New Yorker didn't portray the middle of the country as a breeding ground for inbred morons and then also didn't have political cartoons that nobody understands. Ultimately, he's a rebel. Not because it's cool or fashionable, because it's in his bones. It's who he is. A rebel in a constant search for truth in an age when we need it most. Buckle in for this one. Walter Kern. I can't wait to get to the podcast. I'm a big fan of Walter's, uh, and I hear he listens to the show. So we'll see what this could be. Very interesting. Every Halloween, you hear about the dangers of candy your kids will get. But this year, the real tricks are in the meat aisle. Aisle. Good ranchers want you to take the trick out of your meat uh, that they're throwing in, um, you know, whenever you go into the meat aisle and they want to give you the treat. Lab grown meat is growing more and more popular. Foreign meat dresses up as a uh, product of USA, the little label there. And mRNA vaccine development is on the rise for agriculture. What's in your food and your meat? It's more important than ever before. Amidst these haunting truths, the real hero arises and it's Good Ranchers as the number one place to get America's best beef, pork, chicken, seafood delivered. Good Rancher products are transparently sourced, all American and delicious. When you shop at GoodRanchers.com, you don't have to question what's in your meat or where your meat's coming from. 100% American guarantee, transparent vaccination policy. You'll always know where your meat comes from and what's in it. Take the mystery out of the meat aisle. Visit GoodRanchers.com, use the promo code GLEN, save $30 and free express shipping on your box of America's best meat and seafood today. GoodRanchers.com, promo code GLEN. I think you're one of the hardest people. Ray Kurzweil was in your category of hard guest to book. I've waited for this interview for a long time. Well, that, that's the first case of playing hard to get that's worked for me.
1: <laughs> when I played hard to get with the ladies, they just moved on. I'm glad you persisted. I'm glad to be here. Yeah,
0: glad to have you here. Um, first of all, you're uh, you're a bit of an enigma in some ways, uh, just on the surface, you're an absolute elite. Uh, Princeton, I think, is where you went to school, right? Princeton and Oxford. Let's and add Anna, icing Anna. to the cake. <laughs> and Oxford, yeah. But you're not an elite. In fact, you're one of the biggest defenders of the middle of the country uh, yeah. that is out there. Yeah, I'm a fierce defender
1: because that's where I come from. That's where my parents come from, and that's where I live now. I mean, the the, the excursion to Princeton and Oxford and New York City where I had my first jobs in magazines was kind of an aberration, it turns out. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Minnesota, and like F. Scott Fitzgerald, everybody dreams of going to the big city when they, you know, are out there on the farm. Yeah. And I got there, and I saw what there was to see, but it was like going to the fair and uh, now I live in Livingston, Montana,
0: and I didn't last. It's so funny, I don't know if you're like this, but I grew up in a very small town, Washington State, um, boring, I always wanted to live in New York, wanted to work at Radio City Music Hall, um, and do radio there, and then didn't think I'd make it. I mean, you know, it was a dream, but, you know, lottery has to happen in many ways. I get there, and I love it, mm-hmm. but, I don't live there anymore because I saw what was coming. Um, But then I find myself going right back to the small little town like the town that I was from because it's, I don't know, everything just makes sense.
1: Well, it's a a scale that is coherent and explicable and understandable to me. Uh, You know, I like seeing the same people over and over. I like being able to hear their stories and then catch up on their stories a month later uh uh, that makes the narratives around me make sense rather than you know seeing a strange face never seeing it again seeing somebody twice in a couple of years Mm -hmm. I, i get to go to the post office i get to have a ritual that is uh sort of personally nourishing and that gives me ongoing contact because you know, we just we don't know each other's stories anymore because we don't have a place to share them. In a small town, that's, ex- that's exactly what you're able to do. Just go to the post office. When somebody dies, when somebody gets sick, when somebody's kid gets into college, mm-hmm. whatever. And I'm a storyteller and
0: I like to know the beginning and middle and end of people's stories. I used to walk down the streets of New York Thinking about every single person here has a story. I'd love to just follow all of them home and see what, you know, just see a little of their story. I was sitting at lunch. I don't remember the restaurant name, uh, but it's right on the ice of Rockefeller. Uh, okay. And I was waiting for my daughter. We were going to have lunch together. And I'm sitting there at the table and I'm all by myself. And I'm just looking at the people ice skating. And I'm right there where they're putting on ice skates. And this this woman, she's got to be... 45, 50, kind of frumpy, big frumpy coat, hat. Uh, she sits down, she changes into skates. And the first thing I noticed is she brought her own skates. Mm-hmm. She gets out onto the ice, and she is an incredible, incredible artist on the ice. And I thought to myself, how many people who work with her, who are around her all the time in this jungle, know that side of her right you could work next to somebody in that city and never know it well you know i grew up in a town of 500
1: people i thought that if a town had a dairy queen it (laughs) <laughs> Constituted a city. Um, the idea of being able to go out after nine o'clock and find a business open was enchanting to me. I got to New York and I had that experience, too. It was like opening Easter egg after Easter egg. Yeah. You met all kinds of people. You, They had amazing talents, amazing stories. they were from all over the world and so on. But I reached a limit. It wasn't because I didn't like that. There was just so much I could hold in my head. There were so many people who I could actually be friends with, whose stories I could actually relate to. And I I may like, maybe I liked it too much. I I maybe pigged out on the city. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I, I would have to leave and go home every few months because I'd get sick. I'd be staying up all night. In those days I drank, Mm. I don't drink anymore. I'd be out pushing it pushing it and now my kids live in big cities and they're doing what i did i have no idea if they'll rebound like i (laughs) did but uh you know it it just got to be something i couldn't handle my when you when you grow up in a in a limited you know small familiar intimate place um
0: your senses in a a way aren't built for that total circus i don't think we are built for that in in really, in any way, I mean, we're not built for what social media is doing for us now. I mean, you can't handle, you know, 1.5 million friends. It, well, what? You can't handle 10,000 friends. Yeah you, An average person is you, you should have a handful of friends. If you, if you get to the end of your life and you've got maybe two or three really good friends, you did pretty good, right? And
1: and that's the other thing. Besides the fact that you're surrounded and constantly stimulated in a big city, you also can have moments of crushing loneliness, where mm-hmm. nobody, you know, everybody's busy, nobody's there for you. Uh, you you get sick, something bad happens. Everybody's at the office chasing the dream. Small town people tend to have more time Mm -hmm. and thus they have the ability to sort of break out of their routine to help each other to care for each
0: other and so on and uh, it's just a human scale that works for me so when you look at the news of the day one of the things i like I'm, i'm going up to the mountains actually tonight and i'm going to be with farmers tomorrow and the one thing i like is they're just it's so much more common it's not complex right you know it's it's not that hard to solve some of the problems that we're dealing with right now you know it it, it will be painful could be difficult but it's it, it doesn't take uh, you know all of harvard to figure it out in fact that may be the problem in many ways um Well, you know, the Greeks believed that
1: that city-states should be of a certain size, and that when they grew beyond that, things became uh, chaotic and impossible. And and that may be true. You know, uh, when I used to write for GQ magazine and and, uh, really wore my sort of slick magazine journalist hat, Mm -hmm. I once said to the editor, I want to go out to Nevada where uh, Basque shepherds live, and I want to find... The person who is least in touch in America. I want to find a guy who's literally been on top of a mountain with his sheep for a couple of months. And then I want to ask him questions from the news. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you, you know, how should we solve this problem? How should we solve that problem? Because I started to realize that even back then, and this was the late 90s, the information glut was making it almost impossible for people to uh, reach common sense conclusions and, and so i was like let's let's swing the other way and find people who are completely isolated with their common sense and their their memories and maybe a little bit of reading that they've done and see if they don't have a more sane
0: perspective on it. so things. is there i mean because honestly you talk to people and they're like we can't spend this much money and we could solve this at a table You know, around a, you know, around a diner table and we could solve the spending or we could solve, you know, a lot of different things. But nobody, when you get to Washington or when you get to New York. You are not an expert in that. And so we defer to all of the experts. And it seems to me the experts have really screwed things up. Right. Well, the
1: experts. Tend to withdraw into circles in which they are not criticized in which they affirm each other's Conclusions in which they're looking for advancement within that circle circle and they get further and further from the primary data and You know what for example, uh, I was just uh, last week in Elko, Nevada, which is a very uh, isolated central Nevada uh, City and I'm talking to people about Economic problems and the you know adversities they're facing, and I'm noticing that around the edges of this town, people are really poor. A lot of people are living in their cars. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of people are obviously intoxicated on drugs that maybe mm-hmm. didn't exist ten mm-hmm. years ago because they're acting differently. And I'm I just wish I could bring people from you know inside the Beltway or whatever Hollywood to just see what their country is and what it's facing and i don't have to argue you should spend less money i can show you that there is want there is need and there is difficulty uh but just not being able to see that makes people go crazy i think they they become abstract Mm -hmm. 100 billion off to here 100 billion off to there, inflation rates and so on Mm -hmm. but they need to see its toll it's 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 real world effects, and I think a lot of people between the between the phone and between just the isolation that comes in li- living in these sort of walled off paradisical places that our rather wealthy leaders live in,
0: they're just missing what's happening. I think that's the problem with this society that's being led by the elites is they can they can't be bothered with the small little problems. They'll just have to deal with that themselves. We're we're building this new whole big world. Right. And so they don't actually see the effects that it has on regular people because they're going for this big abstract paradise. Well, they're looking upstream.
1: At where the money is coming from where the you know power is flowing from and so on and they're not looking downstream at the effects of the decisions they make and if they could see hey man there's a flood down there people are hurting people are trying to survive instead they're looking at where the money's being printed Mm -hmm. where the credentials are being handed out uh and they literally actually don't see their country anymore uh, invisibility, inability to uh, to discern one another's true state and true predicament, uh, is, I think, the biggest problem we face. Uh, it's not ideological division necessarily, because ideological division ends when you see someone who's living in their car. Correct. You both want to do something about it. You might have slightly different ideas, but the first thing you want to do is remedy the immediate situation, and we're not even doing that.
0: When you, um, you, you tweeted recently you've been listening to talk radio back from the 90s. Yeah. What are you searching for? What are you looking for? Where, or what are you finding? Well, for various reasons,
1: um, I have to uh, be somewhat... Uh, mm, Triptych about this, but I'm writing a movie about a famous talk show host from from the '90s. Uh, You might be able to guess which one because he broadcasts at night. And. Uh And and in his show, which was a open line show, that oh, yeah, included yeah. callers from all over the country, and which I listened to at the time. I can't wait to see yeah. this. you get you got an incredible portrait of who and what was going on. But 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 there well, was well in a different way. a different one. You got it. You got the night side yeah, portrait yeah, of America. Right, right. You got right. you got America right. after eleven p.m. Uh, right,
0: which is not necessarily yeah. America. A lot, as a lot as we of know. truckers. <laughs> yeah.
1: you know a mm. lot of a lot of inside. Omniacs, a lot of maybe night watchmen or mm-hmm. people with jobs that kept them awake. And uh, uh, my point in that tweet was that they were all talking about the end of the world. This is the late 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember Y2K? Remember, uh, you know, the beginnings of the global warming scare when mm-hmm. people thought, you know, there were going to
0: be super storms with They're 300, mi- that. 300 be, mile per hour winds? Right. They're still saying it. People aren't buying it as much as they right, used to. right. Yeah. But there were like a hundred
1: reasons yeah. why we weren't going to make it to the year 2000. And right. this radio show concentrated all the fear right. and all the panic. And it even had fun with it. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Art Bell. And in any case, uh, when you listen to it and go, wow, these people were as panicked As panicked can be in many cases. And now it seems quaint. I know. You you shake your head and go, oh, my gosh, the problems that they had were nothing like the ones we have. But they believed them to be. Right. Important. Right. Uh, You know, everybody from. People who expected, you know, a religious style apocalypse, uh, you know, a theological apocalypse to people who thought the weather was just going to turn on us. Uh, He's always talking about volcanoes and earthquakes and sunspots and, Uh,
0: you know, (laughs) I know, I know, I know. I used to love that. I'd get up in the middle of the night because I'd have to get up at, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning and I'd listen to him and I just love it. I, I heard him do an interview once with a guy who swore that. If he he was safe in his house or in his car or somebody else's house but the minute he stepped off his porch or anything that was over his head it would begin to rain rocks (laughs) and it would only rain rocks on him and i remember art just saying this hmm rocks (laughs)
1: <laughs> it was unclear. Just, it, was unclear. Just it was unclear. It was unclear. what It was unclear what Art thought of his audience. Yeah, know, uh, you know, know, some nights he seemed to have right. total contempt for them. Yeah. You know, they'd call in and they'd say they'd hit a Bigfoot with their car right. or they'd found a hole on their right. ranch. that They you, you dropped a rock down and it never hit bottom. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the alien abductees and so on. What's funny is just as they thought the world was going to end back then, they were equally obsessed with aliens ufos yeah. and all the things that are still in the news so, now it, so
0: can we can we go there for a second because um i i am i'm i've always been the guy you don't want to be on the titanic with on the first half because as it's going out i'm i'm saying why are the engines running at full speed we're, 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 we're producing way too much why, why are we doing that we're headed towards icebergs have you noticed have you counted the lifeboats there's uh-huh. not enough lifeboats. i'm that guy okay i'm always a- oh i know that i, I i've bought food and <laughs> extra water and maybe even gold on your advice over the years you know <laughs> right so you know um however i don't I, I don't think I fall for everything. Right. You know, all of the catastrophes. These things though, I was beginning to question maybe I was wrong about all those things, but they're all now happening. Yeah. We are getting into some serious crap. Yeah. That we have I've done radio for fifty years. We didn't we didn't have this. Right. This is everything in the crap hole. Do you wish you hadn't cried wolf back when? Do you think, oh, maybe I was, uh, you know. No, I didn't cry wolf. I was way too early. Right. You know, I, I have a real problem on timing. But you this know. is what my wife says about me, too. She said, Walter, you tell me things are going to happen in your four years early.
1: Yeah. Um, and it actually Isn't helpful because
0: I've been stressed for four years, whereas everybody else has just been stressed for two weeks. Right, and now I'll say to my wife, "Honey, this it's getting really bad. It's it's coming hard." And she'll say, "Yeah, I know, I know, but you're always wrong on time. So I think we have time. Relax." I'm like, "Ah." Uh, "But anyway, um, are you? I'm I'm a." I'm an optimistic catastrophist. I see catastrophe everywhere, but I believe in human. I believe in people and the human spirit that it may go dark for a while, but there will be flashes that will bring us into something new and great. Where well, are you? I, yeah, I, I
1: wouldn't say a catastrophist, but this all has to do with our, our story and may have to do with my relationship to radio. When I was a kid living in Phoenix, Arizona in the mid 70s, there was a late night talk show by a radio preacher called Garner Ted Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And he had a kind of end of the world show, which which uh, predicted that every little war or something was going to end in nuclear catastrophe mm-hmm. and so on. And uh, this was around the time my family converted to Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And Mormonism in the mid-70s was very concerned with things like stockpiling food, canned goods, and so on. Um, And between the two things, I became sensitized to the idea that things could change very suddenly. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe they didn't do that for a while but when something like covid came along i had long been prepared uh, and, and in a strange way it didn't affect me as seriously yeah me too as it did others yeah because i was emotionally ready it, mm-hmm. it was like oh this has actually been delayed a bit I, all right you know yeah Art Bell's talking about pandemics uh, <laughs> in 1997, you know? Right, right. Um, so catastrophe. But I am optimistic in the sense that, you know, you started by saying you're a champion of the middle of the country. And I am, in some ways, because it needs a champion. It's definitely, you know, taken its knocks. It, it's, it's used as the foil for everything, uh, everything now, you know? And and. and the, the middle of the country has survived economic distress, deindustrialization, uh, the opiate plague, uh, forever wars that have uh, inordinately us. taken its young people mm-hmm. and sent them back mm-hmm. uh, injured in the mind and the body, and it's still standing. Uh, that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, stalwart set of people to go through all this. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, But in any case, uh, I'm optimistic because when I get out among people and I drive around, I probably put 20,000, 30,000 miles on my car a year. I drive everywhere I can. Um, I see a reservoir of goodness, I guess, Mm -hmm. charity, kindness, basic, you know, you can call them Judeo-Christian values, or you can call them human values, I don't care, that, that haven't been as disturbed by events as you would, you would fear. Um, though I think that's fraying now. I, I, I think the American dream or, or the, the, the simple hope of owning a house Uh, you know someday paying off your car uh, putting your kids through college and so on is escaping people even in the kind of sensible stoic
0: middle part of the country um and and that's heartbreaking to watch right i've been talking to you about jace medical and for the jace case for some time now well It's needed now more than ever because there are critical shortages of essential drugs right here in the United States. You wouldn't think that this kind of thing could happen in America. Normally it wouldn't, but these are not normal times we live in. This is why you need to have a Jace case on hand. It is personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics, which treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. It's customizable with dozens of add on medications available so you can choose the ones that best fit you and your family's needs. They even have ivermectin as an add on. Jace is simple. You just go online, fill out a form, and then you get a prescription, life-saving medication delivered right to your door. The Jace case gives you peace of mind, so you're not just hoping you have access to medication in emergency. Go to jacemedical.com, enter the promo code BECCA, at checkout. get a discount, jacemedical.com. What do you... Um, I, I, I want to talk to you about Israel, but I, I first want to talk to you about the... The shocking amount of acceptance of anti-Semitism is that just on the campuses. What what is that where you can watch. I mean, it's one thing to say, for instance, Ukraine. I don't know. I think they're both kind of bad guys. One's really bad. Another Mm -hmm. guy's really bad. You know, bad. I, I don't see a good guy in there. I don't want to pick sides. Yeah. This one. When you cross the line of going in and just executing men, women and children, raping, kidnapping, that's not war. That's not war. That's terror. That's uh, genocide or wannabe genocide. And you I'm seeing a shocking number of people dismissing it, claiming it's not real now, um, thinking that somehow or another it's justified. What do you think of? What does that say about us and the world? Because it's happening all over the world. So I
1: I answer every question with a story because that's how I think. I grew up in rural Minnesota and the first time uh, I met a Jewish kid was at Princeton. And I started to find that all my friends were Jewish. They had something in common, they were all Jewish. Why, because they shared my sense of humor. Why, because they had a kind of skepticism uh, toward power. Uh, uh, sometimes they were kept on the outside of some of the sort of fancy clubs in mm-hmm. Princeton and so on. So I ended up with a lot of Jewish friends. And then I entered the media in New York, and I had even more. And it, it was strange to me coming from a small town. These were the greatest people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I hadn't been exposed to anti-Semitism as a kid in the same way I wasn't exposed to racism just because there were no one different. Right. There were Lutherans and Catholics, Swedes and Norwegians. That's exactly the way I grew up. Yeah, and so so I was kind of an innocent, you know, like in Mm -hmm. a Russian novel, something coming to the big city. And I love my Jewish friends. Uh, I had grown up in a family where my mother had been teased at school because she was thought to be Jewish. She had dark hair and dark eyes, and it, it, she'd grown up in Ohio, and and I'd heard that story, and I saw uh, I saw actual anti-Semitism I think on the Princeton campus, and then I saw it at, at Oxford, uh, definitely, and it was a kind of upper class British anti-Semitism that Americans maybe don't wouldn't be able to recognize um, in any case. Explain it. What is it? Well, it's a kind of aristocratic condescension toward people who dirty their hands with business and commerce and yeah. so on and haven't had you know lands in, in Scotland and Kent for 500 years and don't yeah. have these lineages people who maybe were refugees from another place or who you know work trades or cobblers
0: and uh, uh, you know, cr- crazy. traders. Crazy. Yeah. I, I mean uh, I'm, uh, I'm sure lots of wonderful people in here everything but on the surface just what you said i don't even want to talk to you you sound so narrow boring and inbred right you know what i mean right 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 so so
1: in other words i was sensitized to anti-semitism and and also uh i've got to say as a young man uh in the early 70s the wars of israel against its neighbors you know mm-hmm. the, uh, yom kippur war and the six-day war were are we're, were Portrayed rather heroically, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. a, 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 as a, a little guy fighting off enemies that surrounded him. So that's where I come from uh, culturally and in terms of my you know, social life. Um, when this war, I guess we could call it that already, broke out, I, my breath was taken away. Because it's not that this is modern terrorism, this is some sort of medieval pogrom where, where, you know, where Cossacks come through mm-hmm. a village and cut off heads and, mm-hmm. and rape people and so on. I, I, I was with my son when it started and I said, Charlie, you're gonna see a reaction from Jewish people that comes out of the deepest reservoirs of fear and memory here. This isn't just a horror in the moment this is going to stir trauma from generations and hundreds of years of you know uh, uh, of ostracism and violence so i was shocked and i'm still in shock glenn i really am um uh, it was the first major attack too that i've seen where the Thoughts of many immediately went to the victimization of the attackers. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect it to turn so quickly into a referendum. Referendum on Israel's treatment of Palestine. It
0: took. It only took them responding. As soon as Hamas said, "Okay, we're done," and Israel began to respond to it in an organized fashion, it was over. I mean that's when people started changing i mean in, in with 9-11 it took what a month maybe before you started to hear some things where you know well america really is right this one happened that fast well i, I
1: i'm gonna i'm gonna mm, kind of revise what i said because at the same time i was horrified and the same at the same time my heart went out to the victims and to all my friends who have family there, you, you know, who, who travel back and forth and, mm-hmm. and so on, I was afraid that the intense emotionalism that was being released by this yeah. would become the pretext for some giant mistake. Uh, you know, I, 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 I wish after 9 11 I knew what I knew now. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that we went to Iraq
0: on. No, real. We thought, I think there's a difference. I think the people think one thing, leadership may be on a completely different page. Yeah. And I don't know what our leadership is going to make of this. And
1: my and I'll just confess, frankly, my education in the Palestinian predicament is not what it might be. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what it should be. And I'm still in a learning uh, process about what a possible solution to all this might be or how to understand it but i'm not in a learning process as a human being uh about the abhorrence of killing civilians of 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 intentionally intentionally yeah this wasn't collateral damage this was absolute targeting of in many cases really vulnerable people people at a party at a dance you know, at a giant outdoor dance in, in little isolated villages, um, children taking hostages, the taking of hostage, the
0: taking of civilian hostages itself is is a horror. Um, and it's a war crime. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't heard that, though. I don't hear people talking about war crimes. These were all what you just described are war crimes. If Israel would do it, if the United States would do it, Britain would do it, France would do it. It's a war crime. Well, it is. And, and, and but
1: at the same time, we've got this incredible passion going. And also, America is playing both sides here in some ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, or the administration. We, we have this relationship with Iran that I don't quite understand. Um, and uh, and Hamas and Hamas. And uh, whether this gets sorted out in any uh, in any practical way, uh, it may become the pretext for giant power moves that don't really reflect
0: necessity. Correct. I, I, I mean, but really has. I mean, we look at World War II with Hitler and. You know, we see that as a necessity to act against him, and it was. But really, it was a setup from World War I, and, you know, the peace, so-called peace made by World War I, and World War I was caused by a bunch of elites wanting to change the face of Europe. I mean, when this happened, my first thought was, okay, we have Ukraine. That wasn't going well. People started to turn against Ukraine, and now this— And this one is viscerally going to get everybody involved on one side or another. This, I mean, we haven't talked about anything really um, nationally. We have uh, so many things that are on fire right now. All the focus has been there. This could easily spiral out of control into a global war. And global war is what you need to reset everything. Everybody... Just wants the war to end and they don't really care if it doesn't go back to the way it was you know when, when i was in college uh, studying
1: poetry and english literature i read about an american poet robert lowell who was a pacifist and who agreed to go to jail rather than uh, fight in world war ii and that seemed crazy to me um I didn't understand if ever there was a just war, at least as it was portrayed to me, it was World War II. Mm-hmm. What kind of um, egotist, in a way, w- w- would sit it out for his principles? But I'm, I, I'm not saying I've become a pacifist in the meantime, but I'm starting to understand more and more that violence is not the answer to violence. I think if this had just been a normal attack, it would be possible to take that position a little bit more um in a more untroubled fashion but i saw pictures i saw things that i never thought i'd see in my lifetime and to pretend that they didn't lodge deep and that they didn't inflame me is to lie but at the same time to know what the next step is and in terms of what i support and how i talk
0: about it and who i listen to um, see, it's funny, because I, I think, Walter, that the the answer, and it's not necessarily our answer, it's Israel. Um, Israel has a right to respond and defend itself in the way it feels. Um, I think the answer is is very clear. The problem is, I don't trust any of the players, including us. I, I'm not well, sure. I don't, e- all, I don't either. I think all of... All of the time, I think, all the world is but a stage and we are merely its players. It, 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 we're watching stuff. I, I don't know what's true anymore. I'm not a conspiracy guy, but, I mean, there's some things now you're like, I don't know. I don't know. A, a rich Texan, a billionaire, once said to me,
1: Conspiracies? How the hell else do you think things get done? <laughs> um, and, and that's always stuck with me. I mean, we know that people uh, make agreements and meet in rooms mm-hmm. and make deals above our head because they come out historically afterwards and we mm-hmm. find out, you know, uh, about secret mm-hmm. treaties and, uh, 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 and all sorts of things that weren't apparent at the time. And all I know is that we're going to find out around this Uh, set of events, that there are things we're blind to now. Mm -hmm. And they may cause us to regret moves that we make Mm -hmm. in a more, in a triggered, reflexive way now. In fact, we can be certain that will happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess, knowing the extent to which Hamas went to inflame me, one of my ways of resisting uh, their their maneuver, their manipulation, is to not be driven into some panicked, angry
0: response. I, I, I mean, it's weird. I just talked about this today, about how there is, uh, the president said, when we went in to, after 9-11, we made mistakes, we should learn from them. I agree. Right. And he said, don't get angry, don't let passion, don't let your feeling get control of you. And, I mean, I think that's amazing coming from the side that tells us that feelings are real. Feelings are everything. But he's right. I don't. uh, The the worst thing that can happen is knee-jerk reaction. When you're angry, you never make. When you're afraid, you never make a good decision. But that doesn't mean that you don't fall back, watch, learn, and then... If it's the right thing to do reason-wise and morally, execute it. Do it. What, I, what I'm most concerned about, as we sit here speaking,
1: is the anti-Semitism in the United States yes. that's flowing out of this. Because, I mean, I've got friends whose kids are in school or at college, Jewish friends, uh, who wish their kid could come home now. Um, Even kids in uh, younger, you know, elementary schools where the teachers are espousing a certain kind of anti-Jewish rhetoric that's making them uncomfortable. So I'm concerned about my friends here um, and and not just my friends, but their families and the extended community. Because anti-Semitism... As I studied it at college, and it was a big topic in the late 70s and early 80s when I went to college. How did the Holocaust happen? Uh, we studied the literature that came out of it. In many
0: ways, we weren't able to understand it for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, it, I still didn't understand it until the last 20. Yeah. You know, how does Germany become that? Right. Well, we're we're actually, you can read about it and then you can watch it. And it's a little disturbing. And, and and
1: we like to think that our hindsight on that event um, has something to do with the run up, but they're very different. I mean, people weren't seeing uh, concentration camps as they went to work regularly. Yes. Uh, we didn't enter the war to save the, the Jews, the Jews. Um, it, and, and certainly in the 1930s, as the anti-Semitism was congealing and consolidating itself in the Nazi party, some of the arguments that were being made against Jews were similar to ones that are being made now. Yes, and and so I I, I don't know that a lot of people who have a superficial education now would recognize that run up uh, to the final solution if it hit them on the head. Um, it's a little frightening. Yes, but maybe it is hitting them on the head because the conspiracy theories uh, that really matter those. Racial conspiracy theories, which take an entire group,
0: give them common characteristics. But that isn't that what an evil history isn't that, though, what DEI and and social justice and all of that is. You're taking the white man. I don't care if it's white, black, yellow. It doesn't matter to me. You're taking in this case, the white man because of their history who they you know were related to even if they weren't directly related the things that happen that makes them inherently bad and evil and they have to be stopped that's really what anti-semitism is except it's about jews well you know uh, german anti-semitism came
1: out of german scientific racism which was a a kind of late 19th century um Mm -hmm. belief that the races were really distinctive language and uh and and heritage made them groups with specific qualities that could be discerned maybe they could be uh graded on in terms of intelligence and other characteristics and so it was this you know if if you said trust the science in
0: 1905 in germany Racism was the science. Eugenics. Uh, yeah. And here in America. It was stronger here in America. I mean, this, sure, is, this is Darwin, then his cousin, what was his name? Galton, that comes up with eugenics and going, hey, wait a minute. There are different races of people, and some of them are farther behind. Maybe we can make the superhuman. Right. That's, and it, I mean.
1: Well, you know, recently someone, someone I would call left wing, Uh, said to me, uh, this is all about Israel oppressing brown people, or this is part of the general trend around the world to oppress brown people. And I said to this young person, when i was young jews were brown people they were the brownest of people the idea that they're now the ultimate insiders the colonists the oppressors uh really takes a big leap um what they were were the ghetto dwelling outsiders of europe who barely had rights as people and uh were not top of the ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they've managed somehow, if, if many Jews, because of Israel and other reasons, have you know have managed to live secure, prosperous lives and gain uh, you know, wealth and influence and so on,
0: that doesn't mean you're dealing with society's ever-present winners. Right. You're, um, in many cases, I know, at least with me, that a lot of people tell me I can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You'll never... Hmm. That's that's not that's a subtle form of oppression, I guess. Right. But I always took that as, oh, really? I mean, I think sometimes that uh, the the Jewish success can come from the fact they can't depend on anybody else. You got to depend on yourself. You learn these things. You educate yourself, and you work hard. When when that happens, success comes. Well,
1: you know, I don't want to trade in even positive stereotypes uh, too heavily, and uh, it's not an area of expertise, but I will say that I see the potential in the United States right now for an outbreak of real anti-Semitism, not the subtle kind that's used to cancel people and so on, but, but actual... No Jews allowed. Violence. A a Berlin synagogue was firebombed the other day. Uh, I I believe a Tunisian uh, synagogue, too. Um, And this can be a conflagration that gets out of control because I don't think young people in this country have been sufficiently educated about what happened in the 20th century and how it happened. They may know what happened, but they don't know how it happened. And it happened because the state needed an enemy. It needed an excuse. Germany ha- had been humiliated, uh, it had economic problems and all sorts of things after World War One. and
0: it wanted a scapegoat. And, uh, the, uh, and scape- the easiest one was... Yeah. The oldest one. Right.
1: And, and and in this time of racial sensitivity in the U.S., uh, it's probably hard to find an outside group to scapegoat anymore. Um, you know, most of them have been, you know, have there's been a campaign for understanding uh, of all sorts of races, people of different persuasions and so on. But I don't know that... It's been done very well for the Jewish yeah. population here. I, I I think they maybe thought that never forget job was done, or maybe we 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 thought that was done. We have a museum. We have a Holocaust museum. Yeah. We've we've got this literature. We we all saw Schindler's List. Um,
0: but vigilance on that reg- on that front is imperative. According to a recent study of hundreds of post abortive women, 60% of women report that they would have preferred to give birth had they received more support from others and had more financial security. Wow. That's where preborn steps in. Preborn is there for women in their darkest hour, deciding between the life and death of the precious child. The reality is women are being pressured to make this fatal decision um, and they're being told that their babies are just a clump of cells. Well, they're not preborn welcomes women with God's love and introduces them to the beautiful life growing inside of them, which doubles their baby's chance to live. When you support preborn, you not only support women, you empower them. And your donation of twenty eight dollars will help a woman make that choice because she doesn't want to regret it for the rest of her life. It gives her the ultimate blessing, life Dial pound two fifty twenty eight dollars buys an ultrasound, gives it to her for free. Keyword baby at pound 250 or go to preborn.com slash Glenn. It's one thing to say that you don't see it, um, you know, 15 years ago. You start to see the rise in anti-Semitism and, and you're like, eh but when you are when you're having people around the world and even here in America uh UPenn just had a bunch of students that were holding a major Palestinian uh, march and they were they were chanting about the there's only one solution mm-hmm. for the Jews well that's the final solution mm-hmm. how, how do you not see it when you're chanting in Australia, gas the Jews, gas the Jews, or you're talking about a final solution. Well, I,
1: I, as I say, I, I, this all kind of took me by surprise. I, I, I would like more time to understand the situation. I, I would like more time to understand the potential solutions to what has been a problem my whole life. I mean, I. I I, I'm expected to come up with a, with, with an answer to uh, a, a question that has been broiling my whole life and that they haven't solved. Yeah. You know, um, I, I I I look at Gaza and I don't think it looks like a very good place to live. I don't think it looks like a happy way to live. No. Um, and, and there needs to be a better way, and I'm not sure what it is, but it's not. Paragliding into music festivals yeah. and, and, and killing people—it's not, you know, slaughtering mothers and children. Um, and I sometimes feel like we are in the 1930s, in which we are watching a kind of escalation and, and a madness take hold that demands a climax, and I don't know what that climax is going to be. Uh, and I. I wish we could step back from it. Uh, I'm no military expert. I don't know how Israel um, isolates this group, isolates the guilty, rescues its hostages, if that's possible, and and, and creates a secure situation into the future, you know. But uh, I, I wish, I hope that that's possible rather than what becomes a domino series of other powers getting there seeing seeing an advantage for themselves you know trying to get leverage using this with their own populations you know um iran keeps its people down too man i know and and it had
0: them in the streets um and there was we weren't and until covid uh, we once we stopped paying attention because of covid all those people marching in Hong Kong, all those right. people in, in Iran—they just disappeared. Yeah, they just disappeared.
1: We were insufficiently supportive of that yes. democracy movement in Iran, yep. and here we are. You know, um, the problem is that the time—the time to be calm, the time to be reasoned. Uh, never seems to come when violence uh, stalks the land. Everybody wants to get their licks in first before they sign that peace treaty. Um, As we speak, Israel has not yet really responded Mm -mm. um, in any large scale way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I don't know what's coming. Every one of us is poised every day to open the newspaper in the morning or turn on our phones and see a
0: conflagration that they didn't expect and don't want. What's frightening in a completely different way is um, my company is Mercury Radio uh, Arts. Orson Welles' company was Mercury Radio Theater. Loved him. Uh, And I I often have wondered, how could people have fallen for War of the Worlds? The father of fake news, Orson Welles. Yeah, yeah. How could they have done that? Um, we're kind of in that period, just in a different way. We're more, uh, you know, we have too many sources for one source to fool us. But now with AI and the complete lack of belief in any institution, um, you can see. I mean, we are in the 1930s again in many ways. Just so, so the so so politics in some ways
1: always reflects. The dominant technologies of the moment. And I remember watching a a speech of Hitler at one of the Nuremberg rallies and thinking, Hitler isn't possible without the megaphone, without the loudspeaker system. Correct. There was no way for him to address tens and tens of thousands of people without loudspeakers and Klieg lights. And he was the master of those two technologies. He's sort of the dark master of them. Now we're in a different technological age. And uh, there are some that tell us that, uh, you know, social media and the free Internet are are luxuries we can't afford because they can be manipulated by by tyrants, disinformation agents, and so on. I tend to think, though, that they may be protecting us somewhat. Uh, I, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think we've learned more about our leaders and learned more about the deals that get oh, done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the truth, not that we've gotten to it, about COVID uh, would never have come out without Dang. social media. M- my fear is that the clampdown is coming. Yes. And and that the power that be, powers that be that want to wage war, you know, whether it's warranted or not, or in ways that, you know, we might not wish uh, will get total control of this thing and engineer the conversation in the way they want de-amplify the, the voices uh,
0: of critics, skeptics, and others. They and, are. Yeah. But, I mean, real control of it is terrifying.
1: And, I and, and Glenn, as we as, as we sit here, that is my biggest fear for for, for this country, other than the real-world uh, problems that are going on, you know, the opiate I, I, crisis and so on. <clears throat> but, you see, everything else is downhill of freedom of expression. See, once that goes, you no longer have the ability to see – even see your own problems clearly. You're you're, you're a pure captive of propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just this week, uh, the New York Times reports. Oh. Israel bombed a hospital uh, and there are 500 Mm -hmm. dead. Well, a day and a half after that, we know that that wasn't exactly the story. And the reason we know that is because there are other sources. uh, Correct. And and almost immediately we got skepticism about those claims and we got other reports and so on. And we've kind of worked out what happened now. uh, Pretty close Mm -hmm. to the truth. Two days later. That's a tribute to the freedom of the Internet and the freedom of social media and independent media, especially if we were to lose that, though, maybe the New York Times or whoever's on the top of the info. He wouldn't have wanted to admit mm-hmm. error in that. And uh, maybe they wouldn't have had to. So uh, if we lose if we lose this this complexity and this multifarious uh source that allows people from all sides to chime in even the worst sides we may not be able to process events and we'll just become the captive of masters who will whip us this way and that way and they're going to use this as an excuse because whatever the right or wrong of the palestinian israeli conflict is there are people who see it as an opportunity to um gain control sure it, I mean, in the weirdest uh, event ever, the New York Times gets this story wrong. And then I see people calling for the Internet censorship because there's, uh, you know, too much disinformation out there. Well, in other words, the, the most trusted sources get things wrong. And uh, that becomes a uh, pretext for, for censorship. Um it's only the places like the New York Times that really deserve scrutiny because little people on little counts saying weird things don't cause major protests across the world. Correct, but but they get a story wrong and maybe a capital city
0: burns down yeah. or an embassy is stormed. And every news um, newsroom in America follows the New York Times. Sure, they do. I've worked for them. I've written for them. One of my,
1: you know out of all my issues and, I'm not really a political person by background. I, you know, I've written novels. I've been a literary critic, and so on. I like to bring the legacy of human wisdom to bear on the moment. And 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 the great wisdom of the ages is that uh, people are proud, arrogant, self-centered, often wrong, unwilling to admit mistakes, and tragedy happens when they commit themselves to egotistical. Uh, pursuits rather than check themselves using using traditional basic wisdom um and and, and uh, i'm very glad that at the moment we have a relatively free uh internet that can you know uh, even show the extremists involved. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I when 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 this BLM chapter in Chicago put the paraglider on their uh, mm-hmm. social media. I want to see that. I do too. I mean, I don't want to be I I don't I don't want to be saved from these expressions of extremism. The notion is that if I see them, I'll somehow imitate them. Uh, That's that's kind of the rationale behind censorship that Mm -hmm. we are all monkey see monkey do. uh, It's the
0: elitist mindset. I'm educated. I can handle it. They can't. Exactly, exactly. But I think that woke more people up to
1: the oh, yeah. potential for organized anti-Semitism in the country than anything else. Say that had been censored. You know, somebody'd say, somebody said that that's an extremist view that could cause violence, whatever their usual rationales are, we're going to keep that out. I think
0: because people saw that, they got a snapshot of what's possible. I also think that, you know, I've gotten heat for so long for, you know, you're just stirring people up. I don't view myself as that. I view myself as a safety valve. If, if If you express it, you get people to express it, to take positive steps, prepare, whatever, you're less likely to have a blow up if if the government shuts everybody up and shuts everybody down you just stuff it down and stuff it down and stuff it down that's not healthy nor healthy for a republic well uh absolutely suppression
1: and and authoritarian control are always recipes for outbursts later um and people who take the Palestinian side of the Israeli conflict would say that right now. Um, uh, uh, you know, Gaza is pent up and something had to explode. Well, let's take a lesson from the fact that America is getting pretty pent up in some ways. Mm. Um, and I, I'm a little upset with conservatives who so recently were on the uh, business end of censorship. Getting their accounts canceled, uh, or maybe libertarians mm-hmm. who are trying to say something about COVID or their resistance to mm-hmm. vaccination and so on, and now they're suddenly, mm, you know, they're pro-Israel and and they're they're suddenly taking the side of censorship against.
0: No, uh, uh, you know, no. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're you all, cannot pick and choose. Yeah, you know, the only stuff that deserves protection. Is the stuff that people don't like right and it depends on who's in power on you know i don't like this i don't like that if you can't stand in front of the person who is being shut told to shut up and say i so agree with you that this is abhorrent hands off hands off he has a right to say it, not to incite violence and all of that, but he has a right to his opinion no matter how wrong he is. The, the, I think the progressives and the left, they are so mentally weak because no one has ever thrown them up against a wall intellectually and said, defend that. You can, you, you, when you spend your life, I was a much better Christian in New York mm-hmm. than I am in Texas because I'm in a sea of Christians here. right? I right. had to defend it, right. and I was more of a, oh, you call yourself a Christian. So you watch yourself, you think about things so much more when you're challenged, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? The problem is that
1: across society, groups move into the spaces in which they won't be challenged. And if you're on a major university campus right now in the last few years, um, you are in a pretty uh, monocultural political uh, zone. Um, every, you know, people who might come on from the conservative or libertarian or dissident side can't even speak on campus anymore. I mean, right. uh, or, or or it's turned into some zoo with security and so on. Um, so people going on challenge for a long time seems to be a you know a hazard of the age it, it happened but it happens on it
0: does happen on every side oh yeah you know it's just this time is is on conservatives but conservatives and bigots and everything else have
1: but ha- but having been on the outside and having been the subject of i think a lot of censorship and suppression uh if they turn around and and, and say oh but This time, it'll go to your favor. It'll go to my favor. I don't want it. Uh, they' they're wrong yeah they're absolutely wrong. This is a weapon that can be turned at anyone the The, the censorship, speech suppression, disinformation, industrial complex, as some reporters have called it can, can can be is a cannon that can be swung at whoever they need to sling it at Correct. when they do and um if people haven't realized that by now they 're not just naive uh they're morons. <laughs> Um, and, and, and frankly, if 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 you are a supporter of, of the Palestinian cause right now, you also face the possibility if policy makers should decide you're on the outs of being silenced, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, I, I like to think that I extend to my adversary the same courtesies
0: i wish them to extend to me and and, i just want to live in a country where we all agree on the bill of rights that's it right can we can we just agree on those things because i don't it doesn't force me to agree with your opinion or disagree with your opinion or do anything about it so my dad was a patent attorney an intellectual
1: property attorney he worked for the 3m corporation he patented things like post-it notes and scotch tape and in the 80s it, it was thought by american industry that japan was going to eat our lunch it was going to take over yeah. and a lot of the patent uh fights my dad was fighting were against japanese infringement of american patents they were stealing our products. and i remember asking once i said dad is is japan going to take over the world or, you know uh are, is all our industry going to collapse and move to japan and he said walt it, w- it won't happen um and they were making movies you know yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that sort of portended that mm-hmm. And he said, we've got a creativity, a spontaneity and a kind of argumentative, creative nature in America where people don't move with the pack. And that's where inventions come from. And as long as we have that sort of inventive, skeptical, creative, slightly chaotic nature in America, we're all going to be fine. Um and he and he framed it in terms of, you know, industry and in terms of economics and so on. But I think that's true socially as well. Um as long as we still as, have it. You know, yeah, well, as long as we're as long as we're fighting fighting fair, um challenging ourselves, challenging one another, striking sparks, we are you know, there's hope for us. But as, when once we start trying to figure out which line to get in according to which authority and who to be afraid of and <laughs> what to shut up about right. and when not to when not to speak out we're gonna slowly probably economically uh contract too, because that you have f- to that that fear of being different can either you know that fear of de- fear it can shut you up but it can also shut down the mind finally just let the ai answer the question right you know i'll ask the ai and then find out what to say right um and i mean there are people who do that now
0: mm-hmm. remember in the day when you could do all the normal things you wanted to do in a day without feeling like you were made entirely out of broken glass Remember when you didn't have to decide whether or not it was worth something to do something. Is it going to be worth it tomorrow? Well, living with pain is no joke. And it's the kind of thing that can ruin your life. I know. I've been there. I discovered relief factor. My wife made me take it. And if you have been dealing with pain in your life and you feel like you've tried everything, that's where I was. I wasn't going to try this. This is all natural. It's, uh, you know, inflammation. I, I I'm sorry, I've just never seen, you know, any kind of ibuprofen that has ever worked for me and that's what I thought this was. It's not. If it works for you, you get your life back. 3 week quick start. Try it now. 19.95. It's not a trial pack. Um, or it's a trial pack and it's not a drug. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people have ordered Relief Factor. About 70% of them go on to order more month after month. So try it, please. ReliefFactor.com or call 800 the number 4 relief. 800 the number 4 relief ReliefFactor.com. Um, let me talk to you about uh, conspiracy theories. A sure. Bit. Um, because I, I'm questioning everything. I mean, we went to the moon. I believe that. I know that. Um, but I think we're entering a time where that could go away uh, should we lose our fight for civilization in the West. Um, we, uh, I, I, Oswald killed uh, Kennedy. Was somebody else involved? I don't know. Um, But now that I see that the CIA knew about Oswald, I don't know. Now I'm starting to question it. Were they involved? Uh, 9-11. It was Al-Qaeda. George Bush didn't blow up uh, the World Trade Center. However, something's not right. They keep too many secrets. Something's not right just because of Sandy Berger uh, going in and stealing documents from both Clinton and the Bush uh, records. I don't know what that was um, but they didn't blow up the World Trade Center. COVID happened when I could investigate and had the resources to investigate myself Mm -hmm. and that thing is dirty as it gets. How much of our history is that or is this a on this scale I mean. Millions of people died. Well, I, I I I tend to look at
1: conspiracy theories as folklore first. They're they're, they're usually a sign that people can't make sense of an event, or Correct. a sign that the official story is lacking in some way. Right. Um, they that's not necessarily the case but it means that they read it means that the official record reads as somehow suspicious and, and and people have every right to use their minds uh and their knowledge and their sources and gossip to connect the dots as they see fit and then put their thought or their theory into the arena and see if it survives scrutiny um every journalist has a before they have uh Fully reported a story has a theory as to what the real story is, and it may be disproved in the reporting or or it may or that theory may survive or maybe something even more outlandish may turn out to be true. So the basis uh, I, I can't criticize people for having um, theories novel theories about Correct. things especially about stories where common sense tells us suppression has taken place Correct. and i talked about I talk about my dad again he died at 82 he had uh, um, uh lou gehrig's disease yeah and, and it was a very painful death and one of the last things he wanted to talk about Hours before he died was the Kennedy assassination. He'd been a young lawyer in Washington working as a clerk in a court that was down the hall from the AP, the Associated Press. And he remembers when the assassination happened. All of a sudden, all of the teletypes going, going in the AP office and going in there. And the most catastrophic event of his young life, he was 25, had just happened. He died at 82. That was 1963. He died at 82 and he looked at me and this was an educated man. He himself had gone to Princeton. He was a chemical engineer, a rationalist, uh, a a corporate lawyer all his life. And he said, we still don't know what happened. I can't believe I'm, I'm dying without knowing what happened that day. And he said, all I know is that we didn't get the full story. And, and, and I've spent a lot of time as a journalist and talked to people over the years who might have some insight into that story. Yeah. And I don't think we have either. I mean, I know we haven't. I, I don't have a substitute
0: theory. When you come to things like Epstein, I mean, Christopher Ray is the one with the black book now. The power. There is a black book. Yeah. Well, I was I was told that it is in with the FBI, and it is with uh, Christopher Ray. Mm-hmm. It's two people share access to it. The power of that book, if it does exist, is terrifying. Terrifying. And if this happened to a truck driver, we'd know every name in it. But because it's with the elite and there's something with him and uh, spy agencies uh, and all these powerful people, are we ever going to find the truth on that one? Well, it's pretty clear from the way he died and the mystery surrounding it
1: that... um, Something isn't right. I, I, I mean, being a, even having the ability to kill yourself in that kind of prison means somebody gave you something you shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, hard to believe that with paper sheets or whatever it, it could be done. Um, yeah, it seems more and more, Glenn, that the bigger an event, the more mystery surrounds it. And uh, is this normal? Well, it's normal when power is involved. They're always competing... Establishment interests. Uh, If Jeffrey Epstein was indeed involved with intelligence, and I think he had to have been to do what he did. Yeah, um, there are people who don't want that known. Um, There are people who were clients of his who obviously or clients, I don't know, friends, Confederates, Mm. who obviously don't want that known. Right. I I wrote a book about a con artist who was a murderer who I knew by another name, he pretended to be a Rockefeller. And when I talked to people who I knew had known him, none of them wanted to speak up. They didn't want to admit they'd been fooled. They didn't want to admit they'd been friends. They didn't right. want to admit they hung out. Epstein was a thousand times that guy. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, so it's a, it's a weird predicament for human beings to know we're going to have to live through history without understanding it. I mean, that that, that forces you, I mean, back on sort of religious and principles and basic common sense principles, because you might never find out what happened to our president, John F. Kennedy. You might never find out um, why we went to war in Iraq. It's still a mystery. I still don't quite understand it. I mean, they obviously didn't tell the truth about the weapons of mass destruction, um, so why did we go? Why did Saddam Hussein become the fall guy for something Al-Qaeda did? And what was Al-Qaeda that made it not our ally as it had been, mm-hmm. or, or bin Laden so many years before? We're not, we're not going to get a lot of these answers, and the people who could give them to us have reasons not to give them to Mm -hmm. us so how are we going to survive how are we going to make decisions how are we going to vote how are we going to um you know form our personal philosophies we're going to have to shrink back to very basic standards because the information sphere is especially uh, occluded when it comes to big stories We learn about little stories we learn the gossip about movie stars lives and so on but we don't know why our wars are fought how our pandemics Mm -hmm. start and things like that Mm -hmm. i mean just since just since covid i've heard from very good sources people you could usually rely on about 10 different stories about where covid came from including top scientists just assuring me it's this or it's that um i'm no real i'm not any closer to understanding it than i was i knew it didn't come from a bat cave <laughs> but did it just leak from a lab maybe maybe there are stories underneath that but how do we live with this level of doubt and uncertainty we keep digging but
0: at the same time we can't spend our lives no, as we detectives. Have to re- we have to reduce the influence of the gigantic governments on our personal lives So we can still go about our day to day life and not have to worry about all of that. You know what I mean? Right. I think the closer we get, you know, to a federalist sort of system. Do you have? um, Are you finding more people um, waking up? I mean, you do a podcast with Matt Taibbi, yeah. And I don't know. It seems like you might be red pilling him just a little bit.
1: Well, (laughs) or is it
0: just the times? Okay, so so Matt and I, I,
1: it would probably be wrong to say I'm red-pilled in a traditional sense because I I, I kind of have a a certain angle on things. I'm not... The kind of guy who says vote for this guy or don't vote for that person i i've i've given money to two candidates in my lifetime both were democrats who appealed to me at the time um, i don't i've written for magazines like harper's and new republic which were really democratic party establishment uh, uh, mouthpieces in some ways, it was around the time of Russiagate that I started to become less orthodox because I knew that the mega story about Donald Trump and Russia was not true. And, and I became offended that I was asked to subscribe to it as a you know, right thinking person. And it sort of put a wedge in my relationship to the media that I had always worked for. You know, and that and that's grown and it grew through COVID particularly. Um, uh, I saw the ways in which uh, mainstream outlets were being used to whip up what I believed was hysteria. Um, and so. It's not, I'm more of a press critic or a gadfly or a cultural uh, skeptic than I am a traditional political person. You won't won't see me on the campaign trail. You said you listened to me a lot for years. Yep. Why? Why did I listen to Glenn Beck? Yeah. Okay, I mean, when I was a kid on a farm, my dad, we lived on a farm in Minnesota. Uh, Even though my dad worked for 3M Company, he was kind of a back-to-the-land guy who had us Uh living 50 miles out of the city. We had a radio in the truck, and we listened to Paul Harvey every day. And then as time went on, uh, Rush Limbaugh came, and Art Bell, and Glenn Beck. And I loved radio. Uh I mean, I I, I can't—it was— for a lonely kid out in the Minnesota countryside, it was always a um, uh, comforting connection to yeah. the bigger world yeah and you know you 're quite a talent man, and you were doing something new, and it was uh, arresting I-, I loved listening yeah. um, and you know I-, I told you earlier, my family converted to Mormonism when I was a teenager i 'm no longer an active Mormon, but I have a, a lot of affection for the church and a lot of ties to people who yeah. were much better Mormons than yeah. I ever was. Me too. And so um, uh, that aspect of your, um, your life, your personality appealed to me too. Where else was I going to hear somebody like me who had yeah. exposure to that? Yeah. Um, uh, the great age of talk radio probably has passed. I'm not
0: sure what you think about that. I mean, oh, yeah yeah but i don't think the great age of the spoken word has passed i think it's about to renew itself even in bigger and better ways yeah yeah you know spoken word is spoken word you know i i know you're a writer so you'll understand this i I, you know you you try to read uh you try to read huck finn or edgar Allan poe in your head right it's not the same as reading it out loud it was made to be read out loud right um and there's something about the the storytelling ability of one individual it's the it's the only medium where if you're just listening and not watching where it requires you to put as much into it as the storyteller that's how that's how you see the story right is if you're engaged cuz then you're working it in your head that doesn't exist
1: yeah i mean the podcast the renaissance of the podcast is uh A wonderful thing as far as i'm concerned Mm -hmm. i mean i wonder how people have the ability to take in that much uh human speech um and i'm not one of those people who likes to turn up the speed to 1.5 i don't want to see hear people talking like you know i want to hear the richness but i listen to you for the same reason i listened to uh paul harvey back when Mm. um or larry king late at night when he had a show um and then art bell for company uh, I, the, the human voice creates a sense of intimacy, uh, especially when experienced alone in the dark or mm-hmm. out in a car or where out in the country. And, uh, you know, our, our politics probably had a lot to do with the rise of talk radio. In other words, um, you know, I, I remember Trump bringing Rush Limbaugh out. Not long before Rush died and and thinking like that guy's probably responsible for the president. Being there. Oh, yeah. You know, um, it's I I, I wouldn't hesitate to call myself a populist. I I, I love the people. It's not the kind of populism that means huge rallies of torch lit, you know, (laughs) nationalist, really socialist. It's the populism of people doing ordinary things spread out around the country. And um and you know, you'd hear you you'd go into a garage to get a tire fixed and you'd hear Rush Limbaugh. You know, and, and, and the elites weren't paying attention. Oh, you know, they they were like uh unaware, I think, largely of this grassroots movement that was building and it found fruition in this outsider presidential candidate and then president. Um and uh I don't think that would have happened without radio. Radio is a very democratic medium, um, and and I've always loved it. and And I haven't loved it necessarily for the ideology of the personalities, but you know, you were a pretty wacky guy in a somewhat <laughs> in what had become a somewhat stale medium yeah. or a predictable medium. Yeah. yeah.
0: You know. Yeah. It is a pleasure. I hope it doesn't take this long to get us back together. No, I'd love to come back. Yeah, good. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Glenn. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people.